0: Hello, Jake Bryden, Mouth of the South, episode five. We have got the attorney, the new attorney, my friend, Keith Hampton, on a Zoom call today. Were were you aware of this appeal that a guy's former lawyer uh, filed on his behalf?
1: Uh, You contacted me about this case and uh, you told me what research you had done. I wanted to see the brief because I, I tracked down the uh, oral argument, and I was pretty shocked at how fast uh, the oral argument was. So I tracked down the brief and downloaded and read the brief, uh, and then I tried to get the record. And, and, and as you know, I eventually did get the record. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I've... I read the brief, I talked to the lawyer a couple of times, and uh, that's where we're at right now.
0: It just seemed really egregious to me that somebody could be convicted of a crime like this without any physical evidence tying them to the crime. What What is your initial thousand foot view on this?
1: You know, I start out in a state of mind that I highly recommend, it same, seems contradictory, but you're both skeptical about what you hear and you're open-minded. And uh, I was skeptical, actually. He told me a little bit about it, and I thought, oh, you know, seriously? They, and then they lost the murder weapon. One guy, uh, that many people, uh, there's something wrong with this picture. So uh, that's how I started out with the, with the case and uh, agreed to start looking at it, especially after I got the record and after I, uh, uh, read the, read the brief. And it's, it's, uh, it's already a very intriguing case on many different levels.
0: Do you have anything while we got guy on the phone here? Do you have any questions that you want to ask guy that, uh, you're okay with the whole world?
1: <laughs> I'm not okay. with. <laughs> <laughs> I, had was,
0: <laughs> I had a feeling that was, I had a feeling that was going to be your answer.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Any lawyer, if you ever have a lawyer uh, under these circumstances and the lawyer says, well, yeah, I mean, who's going to know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Except everybody on the planet. Yeah. So, yeah, let's have a good in-depth conversation. Now, I'm not I'm not there yet. You okay. Know, I'm hired to review this record and to tell you what I think and where it should go from there. Right. And the, the, yeah. what I did do. And, and have done was to read the opening argument by the prosecution, and I scanned the rest of, of the appeal. Just, I mean, the, the record to see, get a get a feel for it, because I can, you know, thousands of records I've sure. handled. So I I'm very good at, at, and it's not like reading a novel. You know, you're you're reading the record means a lot more than that. The First thing I do is it's a scan just to get a sense, take the temperature see how deep it goes, so forth. And the opening statement by the prosecution, which seemed well delivered to me, but I was shocked that 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 really was everything you told me, everything you found is true, according to this prosecutor. He says he's going to prove this, and he states the theory of his case. And the theory of his case According to his opening statement, he gives himself a little bit of wiggle room, which I found very interesting, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get an answer to that later in the record. But the opening statement endorsed the idea that a young man, armed with a hammer and or a pipe, goes in and bludgeons everybody in this mobile home, and... I was looking, frankly, for an opening statement that said something like, uh, "and and we will bring you the medical examiner and the toxicologist, and they're going to tell you how these people were drugged." Sure. That's what I was looking for. Right. And the minute I if I saw that, I'd go, "Okay, so that that could be a plausible theory of guilt. I I I can see a jury b- biting on that." That's not what he said. The theory. According to him, is one guy goes in, murders everybody, Uh, and I don't know if this is in the opening or not. But these people, according to to everything that I've read, the people didn't move. There's no, there's no struggle, Uh, and and they're killed where they were. Now I'll eventually get to that in the exhibits, you know, because of the I expect to be a well documented what should be a well-documented murder scene. So lots of photographs, lots of video, walkthrough, narration, where we're at, now we're going into this room, full scan of the room, and so on. Um, I don't know if they did that or not.
0: Yeah, and and what you'll see, which was remarkable to me, is uh, there actually was some struggle after they got past the first guy uh, that was laying in front of the door. And there was a ton of evidence to suggest that these people were held in place and beat to death by multiple people.
2: It was one that was yeah. pulled back through the window.
0: One was trying to get out the window and actually pulled back into the home. So there's a whole lot going on there that any reasonable person would think would make it an absolute must that there was more than one person involved. And they
2: almost they almost hinted to... Later in the case, they hint to it may not be one person, but Guy is involved. Like there was some. Hints. I did see I did there, see there, Johnson say that there was some hints to maybe it wasn't. And then they also I believe they also um, changed the charges midstream to make him an accessory versus just the sole uh, perpetrator.
1: Well, legally speaking, that's going to be a very interesting point in the trial. Um, I also know, because it was in the brief and it was easy for me to to confirm, because that was the whole brief, was the juror, they traded uh, in exchange for taking death off the table, And uh, that is pretty wild just by itself. I'm not saying that's ineffective. I might have done the same thing. I might have said, I'm... I can save my client's life. Um, that's not an easy call, though, um, because, especially depending upon what you know, if I knew that that juror was going to be the holdout, was the holdout, and was never going to give it up, why am I going to give up? Why am I going to hand a guilty verdict when I could have a mistrial? And sure. I already had a mm-hmm. preview of the state's case. I'm ready for the second trial. My client is still alive. I don't care if they take death or put it back on. They've got the discretion to. So that's one wild thing. But what you just mentioned is also, uh, procedurally speaking, is it meant stream. You know what? That kind of, I'm looking forward to that point in the trial. And I'll tell you why. It's the way the prosecutor uh, slipped in party liability.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Party liability is its own Area of law, and he just slips it in, and it, but that, and he's not committing to it. He's very non-committal. So it sounds almost like they changed, beginning that he knew something when he gave his opening statement, and whatever it was, it. I think I'm just I'm speculating. Sure, but uh, it's informed to some extent that
0: he learned something. So, hey, let me ask you this, Keith. Uh, For everybody out here watching, and I know you were spot on during the Greg Kelly case about your time frames. Um, Every time you had mentioned what it was going to take to do something, I always thought you were um, hedging your play, but it turned out that you were always like right on the money. For us to fix something like this, uh, and I'm not asking you to get into specific details of your plan, but what is it going to take for us to actually undo this, fix this, get an exoneration? Like what does that process look like?
1: The basics are this. First you look at the record and then you look, you, the record will, will guide you to what else you need to develop. Now you also listen to people too. So who, who don't star in the record, but you first look at that record it's almost like, I guess by an analogy, you're listening to a song and there are notes missing in the song and, and you, you you can you know something was there, but it's not there it's not in the record. so you can sometimes those things jump out at you and and so you, develop a plan of investigation. So the stage is first look at that record. How did this guy get convicted? Um, what was the evidence? What did people swear to and then took the stand and testified? Then the second phase is the investigation of that. What happened outside of that record? And then the third stage is once you've got the claims that can be raised, and let me tell you part of this you know, one of the other things I did at the, at the end of this stage is tell you, I'm going to tell you, Jake, uh, these are the claims. These are the claims that can be raised. And I will know to tell you by looking at Georgia law. Right. And then we will look at the claims that can be brought on a writ, what we call a writ, application for writ habeas corpus.
0: So that really is our only legal option is it to... Is to do a writ because of this appeal.
1: You file that writ after the appellate process is finished. And that, as I think I told you, I read that brief and, uh, it was not a difficult call. Right. Worst brief I've ever read.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about that real quick. So what he's talking about is guy just recently had an appeal in front of the Supreme court of Georgia, correct? And, This is one of the things, guys, this is why this is bigger than just why this could affect anybody. Because if you're not in a place financially to hire a Keith Hampton and you're stuck with a court appointed lawyer because guy um, nor his family had the financial resources to hire an attorney and his life is on the line. He's been charged with eight capital murders, convicted of eight capital murders. And this jackass uh, from Florida, right? This attorney's from Florida. Yeah, actually. From Florida, takes this case and and basically raises a one-paragraph claim to defend his client's life, and the only claim that he raised was about them swapping out the jurors. Didn't bring up a single other issue from the original trial. I mean, we've done two podcasts on this already. There's a, there's a hundred things he could have done and didn't do a single damn thing. He got roasted. And, and, and I watched that hearing and they roasted, they roasted him alive and they should have. And you know what, even if I was sitting on the court, I couldn't have done anything about it. The guy was an idiot.
2: Keith, from a legal perspective, looking at Greg Kelly's case and looking at this case with the avenues of appeals um, still available, would you say that this is a easier mountain to climb than Greg's case or, or how would you, how would you kind of rate it?
1: And and you know what, it's probably going to be apples and oranges. You can't really compare. I think the complexities, I'll tell you right now, the challenges that I see are uh, really A matter of investigation first of all when you have multiple people uh that that are they can't nine times out of ten they can't keep their mouth shut so if you get if 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 that becomes the the theory for why he deserves relief um that's got to be investigated and you've got to you have to pick a you have to be very careful in who you choose and I will say this, it'll sound a little cryptic because I don't really want this out, but, uh, you know, and I'm talking to you, Jake. Sure. The, the uh, I have already discovered that Georgia is like a small town. Hmm. Georgia is a small town. Oh, yeah. And what that means is the word gets out and people clam up, uh, self-interested people do certain things and I'm talking about lawyers and we, you know, we had a hell of a time with Greg's lawyer. Sure. And, uh, I foresee that Hmm. is, is going to be a big problem for him, uh, to put all this stuff together because, you know, let me tell you, there's another file out there that hadn't been reviewed. There's two other files actually that haven't been looked at and we don't have. And, one of them, we're never going to get. Um, the other one is, may require pulling teeth to get it. One file is a file that's sitting in the public defender's office. What did they know? When did they know it? Why didn't they do this? What's their explanation? And the other file is the DA's. And I'm pretty good at sniffing out prosecutorial misconduct. I mean, I can tell... It, it's, it jumps out at me. I can, I can see it. And in order to confirm it, you got to get that DA file. And what you really need in it is the file within the file. And that file is marked work product. It always is. And that's where the, that's where the juice is. Nine times out of ten, I never got it in Greg's. Uh, no, that's not true. I did get it in Greg's case, but the. Uh, the the uh, that's where we did discover, like at the point in time in Greg's case, uh, that they knew about the SpongeBob pajamas. That was hmm. very early on because the person, in their own handwriting, put the date at the top of that legal notepad that they had. But that's the that's the big file. That's the file that tells you they will even write their strategy in. Um, We've even caught him. This is actually a Williamson County case where the prosecutors concluded that the defendant was innocent. So they wrote in their own in their own handwriting. And, And by the way, this prosecutor is no longer has a bar card, but it's due to he was he's now elderly and has dementia. And so they took his bar card away from him. But it would have been seized anyway because he wrote in his own handwriting, get this guy to plead. The, the the kid says it didn't happen. Wow. It won't come off of saying it's false. I lied. So get this guy to plead. Mm. And they did. The it's guy horrible. had a bad lawyer who went to him and said, dude, life sentence or probation. Right. Today.
0: So if that's a minutes, That's something I've been I've been stating a lot is that there's this conviction mill game of if you got a flimsy case, get people to uh, plea and and the ones that buck that system, fry them in the town square. Like that's kind of a game that seems to be played a lot, which is unfortunate because the really bad actors, you know, I'm getting all kinds, I'm sure as you I know you are as well. And half the ones I get, I I send your way. But I get these people and the first thing I tell them is if you had anything to do with this, maybe you didn't do it exactly the way they said you did it, or maybe there's some stuff, but if you had anything to do with this, the best deal going is make a plea because the real criminals get away the lightest. You know, they get they get away with the most. And anybody that says is not willing to play that game, like Greg Kelly, like Guy Hines Jr. That said, no, I want my day in court. I didn't do this. They're the ones that end up with life sentences.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that's right. It uh, particularly in the Bradley days and Ken Anderson days, uh, they they it was a power trip. You know, how dare you refuse my offer? Right. I was showing you a little mercy. Now there's no mercy because <clears throat> you declined my offer, and looks, I will make you pay.
2: It looks like it's we're dealing. Power trip. Yeah, it looks like we're dealing with the same type of DA. Um, have you have you looked into any of her other cases at all, Keith? Who? Uh, this DA, Jackie Johnson. She's got now the Ahmad. She's got the Ahmad Arbury case going on right now, um, which is a national um, spotlighted case. Uh, right there that she's having to... Um, and she's very, there's there's
0: very Janet Doody-esque. There's meaning.
2: some uh, prosecutorial misconduct uh, allegations in that case um, that she protected a former investigator until that case hit the national spotlight and she couldn't protect him anymore. And she actually... Um, they actually had to uh, arrest him at that point, uh, which was like a year, a year mm-hmm. afterwards, a year after the killing.
0: Yeah, there's a lot going on there, man. There's uh, I, I'm hoping that she. I've already talked there, to the. Uh,
2: it was four months. I believe it's four months after the killing. Yeah, so,
0: I've already yeah. talked to the new DA, if he gets elected, and and he's. It's very much very reminiscent of of the way that the Jana and Sean thing happened, and this new guy Keith sounds really, um, really promising. That he's he's willing to look at this because he he was aware of the case, and how egregious it was
1: that would be great yeah I mean you know throughout this country there is there is this struggle uh, within the prosecutorial community you have the people who are still living in the 1980s everybody who is accused is guilty Mm. Uh, if the DNA excluded them then uh, there must have been another rape uh, another rapist but you were still guilty No one is ever innocent in that 1980s frame of mind. That frame of mind only changed because of DNA. Sure. (laughs) I mean, when DNA came into the courtroom, the first reaction, people have already forgotten this, even lawyers, first reaction was, oh, one guy is exonerated by DNA, shows you how great the system is. One guy this is proof that the system is perfect by the time the late 90s and you had a thousand people across the united states (laughs) cleared by dna they couldn't very well say that well the reaction among prosecutors was first disbelief and then you saw people like sean dick and others and this is nationwide emerge Saying we didn't get it right, and that was our 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 sworn duty is to see that justice is done. Convicting innocent people isn't it? We're gonna. I'm running for DA to change that. That is the new way. Right. But the old guard is still there. So you see these, and it, and it, they're even within the same office. You know, I, I think Sean Dick has a couple of people who sure. in his office who are still living in the 80s. Even oh yeah. 80s, mm. Way past that, but that's what's going on, and that is promising.
3: Because well,
1: that means I—that means I do get to look at, at that file. In now Rick here's Kelly's case. Sean Dick said, "Here are the boxes. Let me know if you need anything else." You know, nice. And And I, they gave me copies. They let me. They gave me free hand. Yeah. After I filed my red, laid mm. all my cards on the table, and you know, was totally 100% upfront with them, they reciprocated and that's how that was born. And the same thing could occur in this case. Yeah.
2: If there's a changing of the guard.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, let me ask you this. I think there's also a new as look, anytime there's a, a changing of the tide, there's always a give and a take. And one of the things, and maybe this is because of my involvement in the Greg Kelly case. Maybe these people are hyper-focused on me, but what I'm seeing is a tremendous amount of new allegations. And I have no pre context to this to say more or less, but you do of these uh, charges like touching over clothing, super aggravated sexual assault of a minor, uh, touching over clothing. That's the chart. That's the crime because I'm sitting here going, well, hell, that's that's a hard thing to prove one way or the other. How in the world are you going to say? And I'm not saying that that never occurs, but we're seeing people come back 10, 15, 20 years later. These girls are now in their 20, like 25 years old, and their stepdad is being charged for a crime, you know, 15, 20 years ago, saying he touched me over my clothing when I was five years old. What? And, the, and they're actually picking these cases up now and right. Cause there's no, there's no statute of limitations on that. Exactly. And oh my gosh, like you can be just, if they just say it, then now all of a sudden, how the hell do you defend yourself from that? And it happened four times. Well, did he ever do anything else? And, and I'm sitting here going, just trying to use my reason, like anything sexual always is going to escalate. Nobody got their jollies off by just touching you over your clothing four specific times over the course of 10 years. And it never went any further. And there was never any other victims and there was never anything else to it. That just happened four times that gave him the gratification for a lifetime. And, and, and so, you know what I mean? Like there's just, but it's what I'm watching is because I think that that's ways that DA's can insulate themselves from this DNA evidence coming back out to exonerate them later.
1: Well, let me tell you, there was, uh, I can tell you a little bit about the law on that. Up until uh, I think it was, may have been the, it may have been in the 80s, it may have been a little earlier, but in the law in Texas and in many other states, perhaps most other states, there was a corroboration requirement so that you just couldn't bring these cases, and you and by having a corroboration requirement, the prosecutor, when the when a when a cop would bring him, hey, this is his case, I, I've got this person claiming a crime that can't be physically disproven. <laughs> it's all coming out of the mouth of the 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 accuser. The prosecutor then get gets was able to tell the Detective, I need corroboration. I don't know what it is. Uh, talk to neighbors, uh, get a relative. Somebody's got to back this up. We don't have corroboration. So it forced investigations into these kinds of cases to build better cases. Greg Kelly's case is a perfect example of where that's led us. Uh, a detective who never leaves his office can simply take a, an accusation and that's your case. And the the key is frankly jury selection. What you what the prosecutors in those kinds of cases are often looking for is a a juror who will say I believe the children children do not lie. Mm-hmm. The minute that child says he did it, it's over for me. So that that's your juror, that's your dream. Juror, and they're in that jury selection process. And uh, the defense, of course, is looking for those people too, so he can strike them if he's got enough strikes. So, uh, and he's looking for people who are aware of the reality that you can take a four year old child and plant memories in in their head. Oh, yeah. You can, for sure, you can, uh, even by leading questions. This has been demonstrated over and over again. So, uh, but it is terrifying if Timmy says you touched him two years ago, you're on the, you're on the conveyor belt, you know, good luck because you can be convicted on that.
0: Now you're one of the people want to say,
1: I'm going to believe the child it's over.
0: In my opinion, you're one of the greatest attorneys on the planet. And if you caught a case like that, that was fresh, that was unsubstantiated, something like that. What are your odds of actually winning a case like that? Being a great attorney.
1: Uh, well, thank you. Um, there are lawyers that I have a great deal of respect for who have sort of made sex offenses their, you know, their their thing that they do, and their their acquittal rate um, and these are these are the best these are the really good ones yeah is around 30 40% oh my gosh wow that's so scary the odds are still
0: i asked that question to set up my next question is what are your chances when you have a court appointed attorney and the answer is probably next to none
1: well it depends i mean i you know <laughs> it's very ironic that your best court appointed lawyers are the youngest. Um, they don't last long. They don't la- they don't stay on the appointment list. They go into private practice. Right. But they cut their teeth on these cases and they're outstanding and they have good track records. The ones who stay and wind up on death penalty cases i was talking to a group of lawyers dedicated their lives uh to defending death penalty cases so that's their thing and i was remarking uh because they're trying to get me involved in this other capital murder case and it's uh, i was astonished just like i was in this case and i was complaining to them my god we have been working to improve the quality of representation for poor people for 30 years and we're right back despite everything we passed standards got to get the education you got to prove it um, you, you know we, we want to know what your track record is have you ever been found to be ineffective are you ethical any grievances out there that stuck and so on and we so we built all of this into the law in Texas And yet we're still having the same experience. And I'm afraid, very afraid, that that's exactly, that that may have happened in Guy Hines' case. I will say, though, when I skim the record, uh, it's very terrifying to look at a record in a capital murder case and you don't find any objections. I mean, I'm not saying I make it up, but I might push the envelope on the law. I'm on my feet. I hear the slightest whiff of of something that's wrong in that case. I'm on my feet and I'm screaming about it. Yeah. So if you get a record and it's not there, that's pretty terrifying. It's a big red but flag. I did skim his record, and the lead defense lawyer, not the appellate lawyer, definitely not the appellate lawyer, <laughs> was making objections. And they they uh, I also noticed that the prosecutor was making a lot of objections this is all very these are telling signs to me if you've got a capital murder case if you are a prosecutor and you are going for death knowing that those cases are very thoroughly scrutinized buddy you any decent prosecutor has all the ducks lined up it is a train coming it's solid evidence and you're going to get the death, you're probably going to get the death penalty on this guy. You're going to get a conviction, that's for sure. So when a prosecutor in a death penalty case starts objecting, uh, that's a sign. You got, you're got. you scared. You do not have your act together if you're trying to shut the defense down.
0: Yeah, so I, they, I, they just definitely. Just getting the
1: record at this stage, you know, I went, wow. So both sides are objecting. This sounds like, honestly, it sounded almost like a misdemeanor. You know, I see that stuff in DWI cases. Right. Both sides are jumping up and down and hollering, and uh, that's what this looks like. You know, it's very weird.
0: There's a there's a lot there. The, the, I think what you're going to find with him was that he knew he didn't have the case, but he thought that he could. He, he probably felt like Guy did it, but they knew they didn't have the case, but he felt like he could force it through.
2: Push it through with his personality.
0: With his personality, because that's basically the way he set himself up in front of the courtroom is that he's ordained, but he doesn't do his preaching in the pulpit. He does it in the courtroom and made several references of uh, how good he was. And so I think he wanted to see if he could win a case, very much like Joffrey Perrier in the Greg Kelly case, see if we can win this thing, right? Even Knowing right. that the evidence wasn't there. And that's the part that is why I got involved in this is you cannot murder eight people with the barrel end of a shotgun and not leave any physical evidence. None. Zero.
2: And they set that up in the opening statement or in the, you know, there's no evidence and there's no physical evidence. Anybody else have any questions for Keith? Yeah.
1: Don't, don't give, don't give me too much information. I tell this to people at the beginning. In fact, uh, the Andersons in and the Greg Kelly case, they, they, they wanted to, when I had it on direct appeal, they were very anxious to flood me with this information. And I had to tell them, that's a distraction. Because what you're telling me, the judges at the Court of Appeals have no idea what you're telling me. And I am limited to the record. So, you know, it's a... Oh, you are,
0: you are limited to
1: the
2: record. So something else that I noticed in that hearing um, that we watched last week, that's something that I picked up on. The judges in that hearing were convinced that there was overwhelming evidence that Guy Hines Jr. was guilty. And they even said that there's overwhelming evidence that this guy's guilty. And you're saying this. And so it just kind of struck me as they don't even know what I know. They don't even know. They don't even know what we know.
1: They have no uh, let idea. Me t- let me, uh, there's there's a little. I can add a little more explanation to that. When I talked to the lawyer, the first one of the first things that came out of his mouth was uh, he said, "Oh, I guess you're 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 wondering uh, why I didn't raise sufficiency." So sufficiency of the evidence is a major thing that you can bring up on appeal. If it's a thin case, then you argue. That no reasonable jury that this is wrong, and you're arguing to the Court of Appeals want a reversal and an acquittal because the evidence is insufficient to prove this man is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. You're looking to the hypothetical reasonable jury. A reasonable jury would not have done this. Now, when you do that, they have to address it. They have to address the issue. So when you get the opinion. Whatever judge handles it did, in fact, go through every volume, every bit of it to see if the evidence was sufficient. So in Guy Hines' case, he didn't raise it. So they may be talking with a great deal of assumption. Their only interest is in the one claim that was before them, which is... uh, Without even knowing Georgia law, I knew that thing was a loser. It was.
2: It was Guy did, Hines knew about the juror being dismissed, and gave his blessing on the juror being dismissed. That's what he was arguing. Right. He was arguing it's that way- Guy Hines Jr. Exactly. did not give his blessing.
1: Yeah, he, the the argument is, it's so straightforward. This is true everywhere in the U.S. Okay, you waived it. You you waived your right to make this argument because you went I'll do it it's over yeah and and the the lawyer I mean, he said I you know I guess you'll raise ineffective assistance uh, for sufficiency and and I'm like wow maybe <laughs> well uh, if you thought it was important how come you didn't brief it you had room because you wrote, wrote what 13 pages or something? It was unbelievably short.
0: Well, and the fact that he didn't raise sufficiency would allow the, the justices to go, Well, I guess they're okay with the evidence that was presented against their client for murdering eight people, and they're going to bring up some bullcrap technicality about that's exactly him way, not knowing to exactly. waive the thing. I mean, it,
2: that's you, where they handled it.
0: That's exactly the way that it looked, it's the way that it felt, and that's helpful though to know that just by not raising that sufficiency claim, because clearly that is the thing that they should have been focused on here, that there was insufficient there was none. And so that's, that should be your appeal. But is that just a whole lot more work for this court appointed attorney to raise a sufficiency claim?
1: Yes. That, that is a great deal of work. Got it. There was not much work in that brief. You nailed it. Uh, Jay, that is exactly the attitude of the, of the judges. Uh, you had a capital murder case. You brought us this one issue. It's a loser. We we, we all know it. See and, you later. Uh, we're going to presume. By the way, we don't like your client. 12 people said he killed eight people. Right. We, yeah. We're, we're not. There's no sympathy factor here. <laughs> yeah. I, I am getting your battery is running low. <laughs> we better wrap this up. You got
0: it. Let me ask you one last thing here, Keith. So. Okay. Am I naive to think that we can fix this?
1: No, you're not naive.
0: Because we're batting a 1,000 right now. we are I mean, we're batting a 1,000 right
1: now.
0: <laughs> one for one, <laughs> baby. You, you made the last one feel real easy. And so I, I might have this false sense of security that, hey, Keith's going to save the day on this. But where do we really stand, man? What are you thinking?
1: Uh, it's it way too early. It just is.
0: Yeah. If it's as bad as I've told you it is. But you- oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, if it's as bad it is, as you told me.
0: And you can fix it.
1: Uh, you've got a better than average chance. It's just, it's just an uphill bat. You know, there's a ser- there's series of battles, you know, before the one, the war is won.
0: And know? how long would this uh, take if everything went our way? What is the best case scenario on when we can have Guy Hines Jr. out of prison?
1: Uh, the very best scenario would be in a couple of years.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: It takes that long.
3: Yeah. I think he'd take that right now.
1: And I'm saying this without knowing how many boxes of material there are in uh, the prosecutor's office and the defense lawyer's office. you got to go through all of that, too.
4: Yeah. And what? that's
1: not, you know, nothing glamorous about it, but it has to be done.
0: And it's quicker than Greg's, Greg's case.
2: Fine. Yeah, two, years, two case. years is better than five.
1: You know, I'm... Or a lifetime. That, that's the other thing. You get one shot. It better be damn good. You better have everything lined up. And really, as a lawyer, and just as a human being with a sense of conscience, uh, we're about to launch. And am I ready? Have I done everything that I can? Because I only get one chance. Mm-hmm. I can't go back. So.
0: Well, Keith, thank you for your time. I'm I'm honored to get to fight alongside you on this deal, and actually just cheer you on. <laughs>
1: it's gonna be great to work with you again, man.
0: Hey, man, what just just for I know what we talked about for the uh, review and the record. What do you think it's gonna cost? Just so we can let our viewer know, viewers know that are are gonna help us with this. What do you think this is gonna cost? Won't hold you to this, but just Masa manos here. What do you I'll, think this I'll, is gonna cost?
1: Yeah, I'll just throw this out. Uh, uh, probably 100,000. Yeah, that's what I I'm thought. thinking of the experts, because this, this case also has e- expertise written all over it. You're going to need the best in the United States to take a look at some of this physical evidence. Um, and I don't know exactly what kind of experts are, they're going to be. They're going to be very specialized, highly, you know, it's not just going to... Uh, you know are you a brain surgeon you're looking for someone of you know uh, who operates on frontal lobes of the brain we're looking for that guy gotcha uh, you know that particular expert and th- th- this case really seems to me is going to probably need that and you're also going to need uh, you know really the the selection of an investigator it, that person is probably going to be much more expensive than an ordinary investigator. And they're going to have to have resources too, because I, I suspect there are a lot of rocks that need to be turned over, to see what's there. And so, yeah, I, I'm just throwing this out. Sure. Yeah. You know, a hundred thousand. That's not the lawyer. That's, that's the whole package. Right. And this, this is pretty straightforward that it would be, 100,000,
2: maybe more.
0: Well, that's what it takes, folks, to get it made right once you get it all messed up. And so, hey, Keith, thank you for your time, sir. Yeah, thanks, Keith. Thanks, Keith.
2: All right. Have a good evening. Appreciate you. Thank you, you, sir.
0: Well, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I mean, that was heavy, right? What did you think?
2: You know, we're going to get Guy out in six months. Right. And it's going to be, you know, $20,000. We're going to be able to roll with it.
0: Yeah. I knew it wasn't going to be cheap, but for some reason, you know, I think back on the Greg Kelly case, and there were so many things that had to happen. And I always remember everything being easier than it was and being better than it was. My wife reminds me all the time. She's like, no, it's not like that. It was miserable. (laughs) AC didn't work the entire time. You know, I'm like, I don't even remember that in the moment I do though. And You know, it's always sobering. Keith is one of those guys, he's never going to tell you what you want to hear. He's a firm believer that the worst thing you can do for somebody is give them false hope. I don't know that I believe that. I definitely don't live that way because I always kind of put a target out there and I chase it and I'm going to try to make that happen. Right. And sometimes it doesn't work out and sometimes it does, but you know, it was sobering to me to hear him, you know, Hey, it's at least two years. If everything goes right.
4: Yeah. I tell you this is a steep hill to climb anyway, but I think we can get there. I'm excited that he's involved. Uh I tell you what, Georgia is gonna see a justice machine like they've never seen before. I promise you that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think he's got the he, he he's got the tools to get it done.
4: He's got the wherewithal.
3: See yeah, I felt like two years was actually I was refreshed to hear two years just based on what we saw in the greg kelly case i was thinking you know because there's so much to unpack with this and there's we're 10 years in or it's 10 years ago to me two years i think guy would be really happy to hear hey if everything goes right you can be out in two years not yeah. just
2: out but done done put this behind you. so that be was to...
3: done that wasn't just getting out and then going through the exoneration process well, oh no. I don't think
2: I don't think that it's going to be the same process.
3: Keith was real cautious to yeah. by saying hey it's too early to tell.
2: Right.
0: So let's separate my optimism from his experience here. Um I know we're going to be able to find a way. I just that's just the way I'm wired. I know we'll be able to find a way. He's also been involved in enough cases where there hasn't been ways to fix it. I just I just believe that with all this stuff going on here there's going to be a be able to be a way that we can get it done.
2: So that brings us to uh, our fundraising goals. So Keith threw out that $100,000 mark. And I know we don't have nearly the followers to, to raise that. At this point, I, I'm, hoping that, I'm hopeful that we'll get to that point where we've got the audience to raise that kind of money or we come in with some big donors to make that happen. But um, we're definitely going to have to sit around and kind of get a game plan about our fundraising objectives and our goals and and what that looks like and what it's going to take. Um, we got the, the free guy, Hans junior wristbands. I know Jody's, uh, Jody had all these made up and she's working to raise money. Um, and she's offering these wristbands as, as a, a token for any donation that she can get at this point. But, um, we're going to have to set our sights on something bigger, I think, to make it happen. In the long run.
3: Well, we can just split it four ways. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 25 <laughs> each. Get your checkbooks yeah. out,
0: guys. You know, I feel like this part of it is going to take care of itself. It's going to take some time, though. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when people see our dedication to this, because, you know, episode one, two, now five, the reality is it's going to take a long time. And there's going to be people that come into this for a season, and there's going to be people that come to stay, and that's certainly the way that it was uh, for Greg's case. There will be people that make a stop, and there will be people that stay. Absolutely. And so, you know, just hopefully that's really <clears throat> everybody has their own thing that they can bring to the table, right? Like Mark's got his investigative skills. We've we've got our networks of people that we know, and if everybody's doing their part. And, and then there's people that, Hey, your part is, look, you don't have any money. You can't, but you care and share the content, right? right? Share it, fight or share. That's what we say. That's one thing that everybody can do. If you believe in what we're doing, that helps in ways because you could possibly put us in front of somebody that believes in what we're doing and has the capacity to be able to help financially. Now we're doing this with or without your help, right? Like I've already made that guarantee that I'm going to back this play. I can't live with myself if he has to spend another minute in there that he doesn't have to. Right. So we're here now. We're aware of the problem. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Right. We got two years and this thing's going to happen a little bit at a time. But that is one thing that I think is is important is to to let you know that there is a need that we definitely we're going to do this and you can be a part of it the way so many people were part of the Greg Kelly case, by sharing the content, subscribing to it, donating. We've, we've raised about $3,500, I think, so far in the GoFundMe. And every single penny of that, and then some, has already been sent to Keith. So we're on the right track. He's starting the process. We, we wanted to bring you all in on that so that you know, hey, we're not just shooting a, a show here we're actually going to change the outcome of this case, but it's going to take some time
3: and it's going to cost a lot of money. People on the sideline watching us, but they're kind of waiting to see what is this really about? Who is this guy, Hines Jr. from Georgia?
4: They look at a person like Guy, they hear that he's bludgeoned to death eight of his family members. I mean, that's a heinous, that's a heinous crime. That's awful. It's bloody. It was messy, but they don't, so many people, they just close their mind to realizing what the true facts may really be. So we've really got to try to appeal to them to say, hey, you know, justice was denied in this case. We this did.
0: whole sufficiency claim, right, that wasn't raised by this, by this attorney that was representing Guy. You know, if, if you don't understand how important it is to have a good attorney, then you've never been in this game. Because every single person that has ever reached out to me, that's the one thing they all have in common. They either didn't have a good attorney, or they had a court appointed attorney, or they had a an attorney like in Greg's case, where there was a conflict of interest. You as the general public, we we see things on TV where these lawyers are, you know, just providing this brilliant courtroom drama, and you and you make the assumption that that's what happens in real life. And that's not what happens mm-hmm. in real life. I mean, watching this appeals hearing was unbelievable to me. It was painful to watch this guy flounder around and not provide any sort of defense to
2: his client. At the end of it, he literally asked the judges I don't, there's no case like this that exists. I want you to legislate from the bench and I want you to create law based on this case. And they're just looking at him going, what are you saying? Yeah. Forget it. It's never going to happen. We're not going to, you know, this is all that you brought. This is it.
3: Like, don't even waste my time with this.
2: Yeah. It was, it It, was embarrassing. And I felt so bad for not just the attorney, but I felt my heart hurt for guy and it hurt for Jody and it hurt for, where did they get this? Where did they get this attorney?
3: His court appointed. His court appointed. appointed. He,
2: he, what he earn? he earned $25,000 to, Handle this, something like that.
0: Man, I don't know. I I know he told Keith a number, but I can't remember what it was. No, I think it was like eight or something. I was gonna say, that, hopefully that's Too much. Yeah, uh, for what for the work that he did, there was nothing there. I mean, it was, it was, and you can see it online. There's um there's a,
2: there's a link available link. At, at Guy's Voice uh, on Facebook. If you haven't joined Guy's Voice, that's another good way that you can get involved. Uh, just mm. being part of that Facebook group. Um, is is giving Guy more of an audience and, and giving him more of a voice that people can... And that's a page that's
0: hosted by Jody, who's his girlfriend. Um, she's actually from the UK, and she has been dedicated to this for a long time. And She, she
2: originally reached out to you, Jake, and got you involved, She's
0: correct? the reason I'm involved, yeah. And, so, and she is... You what, know, a saint.
2: what a saint to have on your side. I'll man. tell you what,
0: man. She, the cool thing about her is this, you know... I was fully expecting just because this has happened to me numerous times in my life that when I said, Hey, I got this, I'll be the backstop that they just let me have it. And I mean that in a negative way, right? That they just, they quit, they, they quit doing they their part, quit doing their part. And man, it's been the opposite of that. Um, she hits me up a couple of times a week, like, Hey, do you think this could help? Do you think this would help? Should we do this? So she is proactively trying to meet me in the middle. And do as much as they can. I mean, they're, you know, organizing people to go pass out flyers and knock Tyler, on doors. Tyler,
2: too. Yeah. yeah. So
0: Doing the groundwork. The family's doing their part. And that's where that that inspires me to do more, right? Sure. That inspires me to make sure that, um, you know, the thing about getting involved in something like this is there's you can't stop until you finish. Because stopping or quitting means turning your back on the fact that he can't even make a 30-minute phone call.
3: Well, Mark, you spoke to the how thorough Keith is. And I love how Jake always says Keith Hampton is the Bill Belichick of lawyers. And that truly is his approach. He's so detailed and methodical about the process. And it's a proven process that needs to be taken to have success, to get somebody out of prison. And I think you can see the confidence in Keith that if if we follow this process, I can do this but it's going to take a two-year, $100,000 process, and that's what we're starting right now.
4: And, you know, the thing I really loved about seeing Keith get involved in this is the fact that there's no one better than Keith. I mean, we saw that in the Greg Kelly case. We're going to see it. The world's going to see it in this case. And, um, I mean, I see him because we work in the same venue, you know, Georgetown, Travis County. um, You know, I see him a lot. And he is highly respected. He's well thought of. Um, he he's a he's the dream team. So,
0: but I'm still getting calls on a weekly basis. Sometimes this this last week twice hmm. of people that have recently been accused of something that they claim they had no involvement in. And those were the cases that I was talking about to Keith, the touching over the clothing thing. And both of those cases, I can't help the guy right now. You know, I, I just, I, man, I'm, I'm committed to this. My heart breaks for you. It's a terrible thing that you're telling me, but they're both of these cases are eerily similar because they both involved ex-wives, custody battles gone awry. Same deal. They both had a five, two different cities. Same deal. They both had five-year-olds involved when they got together with their now ex-wife terrible custody battle. In both cases, they had kids that they shared in common. And in both cases, the women lost custody of the kids that they shared in common. And in both cases, shortly after losing custody of their children, you got to be a real screw up to lose custody of your kids in Texas. If you're a woman, that's just, maybe that's not true all the time, but I would say 99% of the time, you are a terrible mother. If you lose (laughs) your kids in Texas, (laughs) send me hate mail. I don't give a damn, (laughs) but here, here's, here's what they magically happens. The minute these guys get this custody, all of a sudden their now 15 year old daughter, 10 years have gone by and said, Oh yeah, you know, we had the slumber party one time and he touched me uh, over my
3: clothing, sexual assault of a minor. And and you've had all these DAs who will just throw anything at the wall and see what sticks. Well, especially when,
0: you know, that's a, that's a case where now we've got a 15-year-old girl. She clearly knows what happened to her. It's his word against hers. And look, I don't know enough about e- either one of these. So I, w- I won't make them public because I don't know anything about the accusers. I don't know anything about, but all I know is this. That was two times this week. I've had dozens of calls like that over the last six months since the airing of outcry and probably fit. I can't help all these people, but let me just tell you, if you don't think this can happen to you and I realize that I'm getting a whole lot more of this information than anybody else. It's like a funnel. It's a funnel and I'm at the end of the funnel, but it's happening a lot. It's happening. It's happening enough to where that many people are calling me because you know, I think Outcry had 10 million views worldwide. So there's how many people in this country? 300 million, 350 million people. So that's a very small portion of this country that's seen it. But out of the people that have seen it, I'm getting that many calls and it's happening. And one of the cases is in Burnett County where I live. Wow. This guy's something's coming up from 10 years ago. Same, same deal, right? Daughter of a, ex-wife and so you know here's the thing that's what we want to do with this show we want to put ourselves in a position where we can create enough awareness to potential jurors um and to people that hey and i tell i tell them all this i've got it down to a to a little pitch now which is basically look number one don't rely on the state to have to prove their case against you you make sure your attorney's willing to prove your innocence. Well, how the hell do I prove that I didn't touch her over clothing 10 years ago? Yeah, that's a great point. (laughs) You know, you're going to have to go on the offensive though. And you're going to have to pull in people.
2: Look character witnesses.
0: Yeah. There's people that know why she's doing this. There's people that know what, what this is probably not the first time her mother's done something like this, right? So you're going to have to go on the offensive and you're going to have to figure that out. Uh, Number two, pull every dollar you have and hire the absolute best attorney that you can get your hands on because that's going to make all the difference in the world. I was shocked that Keith said 30% it still only gets you a 30% chance. And And the other thing is, Hey, listen, if you're going to, to marry somebody that has children from another relationship, you've got to make sure you do your homework. You know, if they were crazy before you, they're going to be crazy after you. And so you have to really, I hate to, be that cynical about Mm -hmm. it, but you are, you are literally make sure that you, when you
2: in the contracting business, Jake, we it's, it's, you come up to a new customer and if the first thing that they do is tell you how bad their last three contractors Mm -hmm. were, you just turn around and walk away. Yeah, Bingo. You got to use some
0: diligence there because I'm, it's one of those positions that you, you need to really make sure that you're willing to put your life in somebody else's hands. Yeah. And not just because the way they look, or the way they do other things right it's it's <laughs> you got to make sure you're willing to put your life in their hands because you can trust them and they're trustworthy people because that is one of the most dangerous activities on the planet would be to try to raise somebody else's children because even if even if you
2: takes a special person to do it for sure even if it's your
0: tough. significant other is trustworthy what if her ex isn't right right because he can he can make these claims too i hope that people can see that hey, we're not just here to talk. We're we're here to, to make changes. We're here to make changes in our system simultaneously. We're here to fight for Guy Heinz Jr. And we're gonna do that.
2: We got a good team.
0: Yeah, we do, man. Yeah. We got a great lawyer. If, if if a bad lawyer is why he got himself in the situation or how he found himself in the situation, it ain't gonna be the reason he stays in the situation.
3: Right. And what do you say, Jake? You can't lose a fight that you never stop fighting. That's true. You cannot lose a fight unless they kill you.
0: <laughs> unless they kill you, you quit. That's the only two ways you can lose a fight. Mark, what do you think, man? What do you think?
4: Well, you know, we talked a little bit ago about uh thing, you know, shedding a light on the community on the DA race on yes. on on guys case and speci- you know, specifically uh raising money, sharing on social media. One thing as an investigator that that I'm very interested in is share information with me with us that you know about that could make the difference have you got any tips yet i've got i've got some good stuff yeah um, and we'll talk about it but, sure but and you know it's not information that i want that we'll share to the world it's, right it's you know it's it's very case specific tips that so, can be helpful to keith and his team absolutely so uh, if you know anything out there please share it with us but do it confidentially do it like a direct message. Don't share it on Facebook or anything like that.
0: Right. So those are the ways you can help. Number one, you can share, you can subscribe, you can donate money to our GoFundMe. Now, let me just tell you about this GoFundMe. I personally set this up. Um, Jody was kind enough to transfer her GoFundMe to me since I'm going to be playing the bank here. Um, Keith's got to get paid at certain stages for everything that he's doing. And they had only raised a couple fifteen hundred bucks eighteen hundred bucks something like that since we made that announcement, we were up to like thirty five hundred the goal hundred grand that's where we're headed so anything you can do to help with that again share subscribe, donate um, or give us information if you have information about um, the prosecutor involved, the district attorney um People involved in the case, you got to get that to Mark Gillespie because he's, he's going to be the guy to run those leads down. You never know. That's what saved Greg Kelly's life, actually, was information that came in from the awareness that we had created. You know, it, it, it actually caused new victims to come up, like we saw in the documentary. She actually, Harley, actually reached out to me. Or Gabry first, and somehow she got to me, right? And when she told me what had happened to her, I didn't know if there was anything that could be done about that or not. But we got her in the hands of Keith and then the Texas Rangers. And so all of that stuff came. You just never know, guys. If you think it might help, send it our way. We're pretty good at filtering through that stuff.
3: That's where people should realize the power of sharing. It doesn't cost anything to share. It doesn't cost anything to subscribe. But by sharing and subscribing, that's why we say fighters share – You never know who's going to see the content that you share because we don't know the same people you know. Amen. And that's where
2: yeah, we're all connected, and there's they say there's so many degrees of separation between all of us. So
0: you could be the one to share a post that got it in front of the right person that
3: had a major
4: influence. Yeah, influence on this case.
3: I think sometimes people see what we're doing and they underestimate what they can do. They think, well, what's me sharing going to do? Who do I know? But hey, that one person, you know, that we don't know might be the key. You're going to help us put this in front of, by you sharing, you're going to help us put
0: this in front of hundreds, maybe even thousands, depending on how many friends you have. And then, hey, you never know. One of your friends might share it. One of your friends, we saw this all the time. Hey, I got involved because my friend so-and-so was involved and I could see how much she cared and now I care, right? So it has this multiplication effect to it um exponential exponential that that it's going to be a uphill battle both ways but we we know how this works and if if we don't stop fighting one day guy hines jr will be sitting right here sitting right here and that's that's just what we're going to do all right mouth to the south we're
1: out